0: Well, good evening, Cornerstone. How are you doing tonight? Good to have you here tonight. Um, We are wrapping up the follow-up to the series we've been doing on Sunday mornings called Religious IQ. As you'll recall, if this is your first or second time here, uh, we did start with the Bible, and we talked about Jesus as our foundation. We moved into Mormonism and then Islam, and tonight... We're going to wrap up this entire series with uh, talking about Catholicism, um, which seems apropos as um, Pope Benedict is uh, is resigning now, which is huge um, in Catholic circles. It's huge in, in global circles, for that matter. Uh, first time in 600 years that that has happened, and so maybe we'll get into that tonight. Um, but because Pastor Lynn spoke on Sunday, and what we want to do, again, is engage in a discussion. That would help be um, be a resource. Uh, this has never been, even with Mormonism, with Islam, uh, it's never been an us versus them. It's never been, here's some tools, now go beat up some people. But rather, this has been a series, I believe, that is chock full of information for the purpose of sharing the good news with people. It's for the purpose of having a witness and maybe having some information now to engage with a coworker or family member or friend to say well that's interesting i'm curious about some more of this because here's what i know help me understand this better and with mormonism and islam while there are some similarities with catholicism and protestant christianity i think what we want to arrive at tonight is to suggest that there are some differences uh, in fact, I would still go, go so far as to say, guys, there are some major differences, uh, and hopefully we'll get some time to, to get into that tonight. So if you're here for the first time, our format is the same. We have some microphones on the side here, and you can just raise your hand to ask a question, to give a comment, to agree, disagree. Um, But because, again, Pastor Lynn spoke on Sunday, I thought, and I asked a couple weeks ago um, to Marty and to Tana, hey, could Lynn be here on Tuesday Uh, just to to remind us what he spoke on on Sunday and maybe to go a little deeper on some of those issues. So would you welcome up, please, uh, your senior pastor, Lynn Winters. As Lynn's coming up, uh, again, if you have a question or you have a comment or thought, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll get those started uh, as we make some introductory comments. Um, Lynn and I were talking um, uh, just prior to to singing, and the the question I had, Lynn, was as you guys put together this series, probably six, seven, eight months ago, and you were thinking through, we've got a number of options when we talk about religious IQ. We could have went with Hinduism, Buddhism, could have went with Scientology, you chose Mormonism, Islam, and Catholicism,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and now we arrive at Catholicism. Uh, I might be able to understand the the other two, Mormonism and Islam. Why Any, Catholicism?
2: Yeah. Um, you know what? Actually, what we as we went through and got ready for Religious IQ, we're trying to say what are the what are the ones that you and I, living in Chandler, Arizona, potentially have the biggest conversation points with. So. I think, Remember, the first one was atheism, so I think we all That's run right. into people correct, correct. Who, who struggle with whether or not there really is a God. And so we were hoping to give information for people to have an intelligent conversation with people who thought you were unintelligent if you believed in God. And then uh, we went after um, uh, Mormonism, of course, just because we live in a community in which Mormonism has such a huge influence. And... Uh, we are all aware of that. And then Islam, just because of what's happening in the world scene around it, you can't sense. turn on the news, and there's not something that's being impacted by sure. uh, the Islamic faith. But I actually felt like uh, Catholicism, out of all of them, may have been the most critical one for us uh, to talk about of those. And the reason I thought that is because I think most uh, Christ followers would say, look, I, I totally get it. Like, if you're an atheist, if you're a Mormon, if you're uh, a Muslim, you're you're paddling a completely different boat uh, than we're paddling, and yet you get to this uh, topic of Catholicism, and now it gets a little murky uh, as you do that, and I think part of the uh, struggle there is is that the closer you get to that which is true Mm. and and accurate, but miss it, uh, you then begin to, wonder: well, have you missed it too far, or are you still in the boat with us or not? And I thought this was probably the one that would have the most confusion for us yeah. and probably the most necessary conversation of all four of them to try to get some clarity. Because when you look at doctrinal issues, Trinity, um,
0: Jesus being the Son of God, whereas Mormonism or Islam might might verge off, verge off the path, mm-hmm. Catholics would say, and, point? Yeah. I'm right there with you. So. Exactly. Uh, I don't know if we've got a slide up here uh, just to give you a demographic of what we're to- Oh man. This happened last week, too. If you could see what I'm looking at, you would see... Um, an amazing slide. Yeah, an amazing slide. How about this one? Does this one come up?
2: That one's better than the last. Yeah. No. Just
0: no. slightly. Huh.
1: That happened last
2: week. No? Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: that one works. There you go. <laughs> nothing. Okay. Um, Roman Catholics, the largest body in the U.S., 77 million, right around, give or take, a few hundred thousand. The next closest would be Southern Baptists at 16 million. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if uh, there's a a graphic um, that demonstrates that in our area, in the Southwest, it is predominantly Roman Catholicism and Mormonism. Uh, And, you know, whether you want to say, well, that's just, you know, we're stereotyping, or if you move to the Southeast, again, demographically, you're looking at Baptists or Southern Baptists. And so it's helpful for us to know who I'm dealing with. Right. Because these are going to be my co-workers, they're going to be my neighbors, mm-hmm. whether I want it or not. So, yeah. so I think that's why we're talking about Catholicism. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think we have a question right here, and then uh, some comments. We'll keep the mic moving. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if you guys could uh, talk about the Pope, how he came about,
3: uh, why Catholics believe Peter was um, the spokesperson for God, and how that carried on.
2: Yeah. So... Uh, You know, really, if you get down to the origin of the Catholic Church and and how they're forming, uh, the origin of the Catholic Church is actually pretty commendable. Uh, What's happening, and if you think about this, there are no denominations uh, back the first couple hundred years uh, after Christ. And so what would inevitably happen is is you'd have uh, preachers all off in different cities, different communities, and they're all preaching preaching. Whatever they understand scripture to say and sometimes it's accurate and sometimes it's pretty fallacious sometimes it gets way off track so the thought was Hey, what do we do with this guy in ephesus? Who's teaching that jesus wasn't really the son of god? How do we respond to that because he's the only guy in ephesus? that has a bible and Nobody knows how to dispute or talk. What do we do with that? And how do we let people know he's off track And so there began to be this calling together of church councils. And really what it was originally was the largest churches kind of around the world. It was a big deal because people had to travel thousands of miles and by horseback or camel to get there. And then they would hold these meetings and they would say, hey, uh, is this all right? Can this person teach that and still be lined up somewhere within what's acceptable within Christian teaching? And they would say, yes, you can teach that, and you're still, you know, we may not agree, but you're still in line, okay? Or no, this completely takes you off track, and and you can no longer be considered in the Christian faith. And they came up with a term for that, which was the common belief, or the Catholic, which simply means common faith. And uh, so then what would happen is churches would put a symbol on to say, we ascribe to that which has been accepted as the common christian belief and if you couldn't put that on your door then people knew as they came to your town or moved there hey wait a minute whatever they're teaching inside that building must be off track and that's kind of how it started and was actually a, a fairly noble reason to start the problem comes in about 300 a.d when they begin to decide uh we have the authority to do this because we have apostolic succession in other words Peter was the first pope, which is a huge struggle because uh, celibacy is going to come along uh, in the process. And uh, we know that Peter had a wife and that gets uh, a little tough along the way. But um, and then the, the claim was and we have had this lineage ever since Peter. And therefore, we have the authority of the apostles to now make these decisions and about 300, you watch them start veering off uh, to the side, claiming things that we would argue they really have no right to claim. They can't, they're, they're unsubstantiated in Scripture. And that begins about 300 A.D. The, the
0: passage then uh, that Catholics will refer to is Matthew 16, starting in 16. I don't know if you want to turn there real quick, but Matthew 16, 16 to 18, real famous passage, and Jesus is talking with Peter about uh, who the rock is. And, um, admittedly, gang, this is a difficult passage. Um, there's not a theologian that would say that this is easy to understand, but in terms of why Peter is the first Pope, and there is a, then a lineage from him, a succession from him, it goes back to this passage. And so Catholics would say, this proves that Jesus was in fact giving Peter authority and the keys to the kingdom. Um, and so what we have to do is we have to try to understand, okay, what did, what did Jesus mean when he said, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall overpower it. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is found in verse 19, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on others shall be bound on heaven, whatever you loose on others shall be loosed on heaven. Again, just to give us some background, there, there's some foundation there for Catholics to say, they're not just pulling this out of thin air and saying, well, we need a leader and Peter's it. That's where they go to. Protestants would disagree with the interpretation of that passage. In fact, um, good passages to look at would be from Peter himself. And to ask the question, what did Peter have to say about himself in his lifetime? So we look at First and Second Peter. And in fact, in First Peter chapter 5... Peter spends four to five verses talking about how do you accurately or, or properly shepherd the flock? Well, it's interesting that a number of years, 20 or 30 years after Jesus gave Peter this affirmation, if, if in fact he was to be the leader of the church, Peter takes a different route in his own book to say, listen, if you're a shepherd of your people, you serve them humbly. And he talks about Christ being the chief shepherd. Uh, We find in the book of Acts, in fact, that when they got together at the council, if in fact Peter was the guy, then why was James, the head of the council of Jerusalem, why was he making more or less the final decision? Uh, We find in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, that the church is built upon the apostles and and elders, and yet Christ is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. But note that even in that verse, Paul is saying that it's built upon the apostles and elders, plural, not upon Peter himself. And so, there, it's, not, it's not an easy passage. But again, guys, hermeneutics 101, we've got to let clear passages interpret unclear passages. And if you're going to build an entire theology off of one passage, um, you've got to be real sure that that is the exact interpretation for that passage. But that, that's the history. That's where it comes from. Um, and again, there... They're in an interesting position right now, gang. Um, eight years later, Benedict says, "I want out." Um, and we, you know, maybe we can talk about in in a little bit how they pick a pope. It's a fascinating process. It, I don't know if you're aware of it, but watch the news over the next few weeks. But the cardinals get together, they have to vote on paper. It's kind of old school, and then um, and then they have smoke at the Vatican. And if it's black smoke, it tells the crowd that they're still in because they have to. It's got to be unanimous, and it, but. But then if there's white smoke, it appears the crowd gets really, really excited because then in the next few moments, they're going to make an announcement and they're going to announce the the next pope. The pope will always come from, or at least for the past thousand years, always come from the cardinals. Mm -hmm. And so, but theoretically, any male over 35 that's been celibate and a Catholic can can apply to be pope and uh, get your name on the ballot, I guess. Um, You're not going to go very far with it, but if you want to impress your neighbors, I guess, and say you're running for pope. It's kind um, of, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like being part of the Tea Party or something. You're not, yeah, not going to make it's, it's not going to happen. But yeah, yeah. so yeah. but that's going to happen over the next um, several months, and and we have the privilege of watching that take place. Um, and and again, guys, as you watch that take place, one thing to keep in mind, and one of the differences uh, that, that on a practical level is why is so much emphasis put on one human being. Um, and I think Lynn mentioned on Sunday, you know, the Pope has the ability, because he is in this succession from Peter on down, uh, and he holds the supposed keys to the kingdom, uh, that he has the ability to speak directly from God. They call that ex-cathedra, and granted, it hasn't been used, I believe, since 1864-ish. But they do have that ability, which just raises a question. It doesn't say anything other than... Um, why, why would God give one individual that much control and power? Um, and it's, a, it's a good starting point when you engage with Catholic friends or coworkers or neighbors. Um, I did just complete side note when the Pope, is there, was anyone here when John Paul came to Sun Devil Stadium, which is ironic that he would come to Sun Devil Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> did, was anyone, did anyone go to that? Um, I, wo- I work security for that, hmm. um, which, you know, the Pope had no chance if I'm working security. Um, but I'll tell you what, if you, you talked about Mary and kind of the reverence for Mary and, and almost worship of Mary. Um, if you don't think that there is a, a real fine line between revering someone and honoring someone and worshiping someone. Um, guys, there were 75,000 people. That I'm convinced would have given their life for this man, which can be a very honorable and noble thing. Uh, unless you ask, what's your motivation for doing that? Why? Why would you? Is it simply because he's the pope? Is he? He's? The, is he the leader of your your organization, uh, or is it something about? Well, I would die for any human being. Um, they were. It was. It was uh, religious chaos. It, it was it was unbelievable. Came in his pope mobile, and and uh, but he was beyond rock star status. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, and again, it just simply you got to raise the question as to um, if if the papacy goes away, are you still okay as an individual, or are you relying maybe a little too much on, on an on an individual? Um, yeah. Um,
4: In 79, John Paul visited Ireland, and there was about 2 million people in Ireland at the time. One and a half million turned up to see him at the Phoenix Park.
0: Good day to go shopping. Huh? Good
4: day to go shopping. Right. A million
0: and a half, did you say?
4: Yeah, yeah, in Phoenix Park. Um, But I'm Irish. I grew up Roman Catholic, so twice the guilt. And um, (laughs) (laughs) just... Catholics it is very ritualistic, but I look at it as more strategic. You know, in five years you will do your communion, and another six years after that you'll have your confirmation and etc. Whereas the Muslim faith I kind of call more tactical on a daily basis, you will pray five times, etc. Sure. And what I seem to feel with the conversations that we've been having lately, and not in the church, but just even in general in the country, is that you know, how do we talk to our Muslim veteran? you know? Mm-hmm. And yet you have this, I think you said 70-odd million population of Catholics out there that, yeah. you know, I would hazard a guess that most of them know the rituals without knowing the meaning. And most of them are comfortable with having a structure without necessarily having a personal relationship.
0: So do you mind me asking you, why would you say that most of them know the rituals without knowing the meaning? Why is that?
4: Because when you grow up and you're told, okay, now you're going to, you'll have your confirmation. What do I do? Well, we get you a nice suit. You pick a saint's name. Why? Shut up. You just do it. Um, And then they say, and then we'll go around to all your family, all our family, and they'll give you some money for making your confirmation. And then, great. And you might have one Catholicism class in school that tells you about the relationship piece. But the rest of it is about what you need to do to make sure you perform at your confirmation correctly. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yep, sure. Um, So, you know, I'd like to maybe just hear more about how can we reach out to those folks? Because a lot of them are jaded. Because these rituals over the last few years with the various scandals and yesterday's, or today's case in point, have left them worn and weary, you know? Sex scandals, financial scandals, sure. you know, all kinds of, all kinds of, you know, not, not small things, but real shake your fate things. Yeah. So, you know, is, is there a better way, you know, to, how can we show these folks a better way? And how can we show them that, hey, the ritual is so impersonal? Yeah. I, I, I read a Bible for the first time a year and three months ago, because when you're a Catholic grown up, I don't know about here, but at least at home, you don't need to know the Bible because the priest is going to tell you everything that you need to know. So,
0: would Those of you who have grown up Catholic or have been exper- exposed to that, would you agree with that? Yes. Is that yeah? I, I was telling Lynn before the service, um, a relative Catholic her whole life, and I'd become a Christian. It was six months into my walk with Jesus, so I thought, well, I better read the Bible. And, and she approached me and said, one of these days you're going to have to teach me how to read that. And she had Thirty years in the Catholic Church, and I, and I, it just it stopped me in my tracks. To, I just didn't understand the question, and she said exactly what you just said. We're, it's it's just not a a, a priority that we're, we're basically told what to to read or believe, or but we're not really encouraged to do personal Bible studies and devotions. And okay, I just want to make sure we're on the same page with that. But Lynn, how how would you? What would your advice be in in just a conversational way with a neighbor coworker? Um, that may not be versed in their doctrine mm-hmm. down to the nuts and bolts, but certainly is, is tired of the, the routine maybe or
2: just doesn't understand why sure. am I doing all of this? I think, I think it's, it's fundamentally a hard conversation to begin. And part of this is, is that the average person who is part of the Catholic Church didn't get there because they sat down one day and said, I'm going to sit down and examine the doctrines, I'm going to examine the teachings, and then upon examining that, I'm going to make a decision about being a Catholic or being a Baptist or being a Methodist. That's usually not how someone got into the Catholic Church. It's usually a birthright. You know, it's usually my family's Catholic, I was born uh, Catholic. And so the interesting dynamic that you get into when you're talking to Catholic people is, that it's, it's almost a nationalism uh, versus necessarily something they've decided. And so it'd almost be like going to an American and saying, look, uh, you really shouldn't be an American. Let me give you three reasons why. It, it feels viscerally wrong mm. uh, for many people in the Catholic Church to even think about not being Catholic. So I think you have to wait for those moments. You have to look for those things where you start to sense within their heart a dissatisfaction, you know it is the moments when you go, Well, wait a minute, if, if the priest was doing that, why did, why did they choose to cover it up rather than be upfront about it? How could, where did that money go? You know, I think you have to wait for moments when they they begin on their own to express the cracks of of being in hmm. you know, and then I think the most powerful thing you do in that moment again, I, I don 't think you argue somebody uh, in that moment. I think it's much more powerful to ask questions. You know, and so that was, you know, kind of what we were trying to do a little bit on Sunday to say, all right, if, if this passage in Galatians says that you started your faith uh, by assent and belief in Jesus Christ, why are you now trying to work to make God happy? Why, how is that? Um, if Jesus forgave you once and for all, why would you have to go to purgatory and burn off your sins a second time how does that add up for you and the reality is when you ask those questions because the average catholic has not explored their faith mm-hmm. those questions begin to sit pretty heavy upon their hearts yeah. but i think the key to it is you wait for those moments in which they've come to a place and and they very often do of expressing and saying boy i i don't think i agree with i know they say but yeah and I think you look for those moments to have conversation.
0: I think you also mentioned before we started singing, um, the issue of um, discussing or asking them about, like we would have a personal testimony, and to feel the freedom to say, "Tell me, tell me how you came to know Jesus. Tell me your Jesus story. Tell me, tell me what Jesus is doing in your life, and and maybe just begin the conversation at that level, because you may find out they may say, you know, I was at camp and i came to know jesus and you know bowed the knee and or they may say i got baptized and i got confirmed and went to confession and and that could be some good starting points to just begin to just have them tell you um how much they know and and what they believe about the gospel with
4: the pope resigning right i mean yeah I think for the next six, eight weeks, not just watch what happens, but also use that as an example Absolutely. to maybe explore some, some dialogue with some folks. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, just over the next six, eight weeks, like I would hope to be able to have it's a chat with a few people yeah. and ask them what they think of the cardinals and their piece of the paper. Yeah. And, you know. Well, great I idea. also just want to mention that, and you better take the mic away from me after this, otherwise I won't shut up. Um, if, if we don't talk about Jesus a lot, as a Catholic. You talk about God. There's not a lot of Jesus. Why? I don't know. But I think it's because we don't have that personal testimony. Huh. We can relate better to the all-powerful rather than to a, a, a human being even if it was God in a human form. And yeah. there's not a lot of discussion about Jesus in the Catholic Church from my experience. It's more about God and power.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the rituals. I appreciate the comments. Yeah. One over here and then we'll go back there.
3: Will you pl- Sorry. Will you please explain more about saints and sainthood, please?
0: How one becomes a saint and it's, it's an interesting process actually.
2: Yeah. So the, the thought, the basic gist behind sainthood is, remember we uh, on Sunday we talked about this idea that everybody becomes a Christian when they get baptized. and then you begin to do the sacraments. and the more uh, the more faithful you are and the more sincere you are, In doing the sacraments, then a little bit more grace is given to you um, along the way. To get to sainthood, you have to have gone to a place where you became so pure of heart that when by the time you died, uh, there was no longer anything left to burn off. You actually made it all the way in this life. And therefore, you got to kind of skip purgatory. And uh, the way they determine that is they get together and have a vote. And they vote you to sainthood.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, minimum of five years, you have to be dead for five years prior to that. Have to have done two miracles. Right, and so they they want to make sure that they don't make a mistake. Because once you become a saint, and then if someone were, God forbid, to uncover something, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't bode well at all. Or if you came back
2: from the dead or something.
0: Yeah, so... So five year minimum, and then someone has to recommend you. Uh, as Pastor Lynn said, a number of meetings have to take place. But then, yeah, interestingly enough, um, someone has to verify a uh, uh, post mortem miracle that you that the, that the saint would have had to have been involved with. I was driving down the street, and I was going I was about to get hit by a car, and and I saw Mother Teresa. And she showed up and pulled me out of the car or they have to verify that she aided them or the saint aided them in a miraculous way after the saint has already died. And so once they've gone through that whole process, the council Mm -hmm. of cardinals will vote and then the pope will have the final say. Um, Not many make it to that.
2: that Here's the interesting thing. And here's the reason that, you know, again, it comes back to, you know, am I familiar with scripture or not? Because over and over and over again in Scripture, and almost in every epistle, when Paul begins to talk to the church, he addresses the whole church, not just individuals, he addresses the entire church. And when he addresses them, he says, To the saints. Because the answer is, every single one of us who's in Christ is a saint. Every one of us has been completely purified, completely cleansed of our sins. And that is not a title of distinction. It's his title of general. It includes everybody who has faith in Jesus Christ, is a saint. Is a question? Comment.
4: Yeah. I'm a, a recovering Catholic as well.
2: Okay. And uh, could you up, please stand and state yeah. your name? No. <laughs> <laughs> grew up in Chicago, so that probably yeah. That tells makes it, yeah, it worse. right there. Yeah. And I, I just resonate with your
4: comment about nationality because where I grew up, you're either Italian. Catholic or Irish Catholic. Yeah. Those are your two options. Yeah. You know, other than that, you didn't, you had to move or something. <laughs> uh, my question is more around the, the Bible and uh, the formation of it, because mm-hmm. you look at like Maccabees, yeah. certain things that they'll, they'll touch on or or passages. And I just want to better understand, you know, how those books were selected and then why there was you know, some disagreement about taking these seven out or you know, right. that whole the process. apocryphal
2: books and stuff.
4: Yeah
0: it's
2: you know actually a slide it's up here oh you got a do you, you have it. a slide? I
0: do actually. All right, yeah, there maybe you go. it'll work. I'm not sure there it is. Yeah. Uh, so these are the books added and it was done at the Council of Trent um, 1546 now the Bible was canonized a canon is a standard or rule and that was done in 397 at the Council of Carthage so add to that then 1200 years when the catholic church got together another council and decided that the current canon um, was insufficient, and there were other books that were not considered or that they wanted to consider. So they call that deuterocanonical, which simply means a second canon. Uh, Christians then, or Protestants would believe or call it the big term is pseudopigrapha, which simply means false writings. But if you're interested, here are the... Those are the ones up here. And so they're all in the Old Testament. Um, let's see, these are... Uh, the pointer. But in the middle column, you see First and Second Maccabees, Tobit, Judith, Ecclesiasticus, Book of Wisdom. Um, and, and many of you may have, have read them or referred to them.
2: And here's the interesting part about it, guys, is that when you and I get down to Scripture it's really not that argumentative about, you know, I know you sometimes you watch History Channel and people go, oh, here's the canonic books that somebody didn't put in and all that. Right. You need to know when you go back and take a look at the early councils, they got together and looked at Scripture. this was It was not a highly debatable... These weren't close votes as they were getting ready to do right. it. So the first one, and that I think makes it fairly easy, is that all of the apocryphal books are Old Testament books. And what you and I as Christians came back and said, look... If the Jews, who were the ones that were originally given the responsibility for preserving the word of God, did not recognize them as scripture, then why would we come along later and start adding to that? And what you need to know is that over thousands and thousands of years, the the Jews never recognized a single one of the apocryphal books. They are full of errors. They have timeline mistakes in it. Sometimes they flat out lie about authorship in the deal. And and if you're talking about Holy Scripture, if you're talking about the Word of God, you're not going to lie about who wrote it in the deal. So you just need to know that, that these seven that you and I passed on, it was an easy pass. The Jews had never accepted them. It was easy to find human error within the book. And at the end of the day, guys... The thing that makes the Bible distinct from human writing is it doesn't have human error. So, as soon as you and I read something and you go, Oh my goodness, that guy just made that up, that's completely fallacious. You and I know it's not scripture the moment you and I see that. So, the interesting part is it took them 12, think about this, 1200 years to come back and add these books. And they did not add the books because they were actually in contention for Scripture. They added them because after they had moved in 1,200 years of teaching, these books then looked like they affirmed the teaching they had gotten to. Does that make sense? So they then became helpful for their case, but they were never a part of the original canon. And so the...
0: This is a, uh, a New American Bible, not to be confused with the New American Standard. Uh, the New American Bible, the Jerusalem Bible, the Dewey rheims Version. Um, actually, J.R. Tolkien was uh, one of the editors, I think, the Book of Jonah um, in that. And so if you pick up a New American Bible, you're going to see seven additional books in the Old Testament. Just know that that is an apocryphal account. And so you're going to have uh, 76 books instead of 69.
1: I was raised Catholic also, a very strong Catholic um, mm. the whole bit. I can say that we love Jesus Christ. We, we acknowledge his birth, his death. Um, I feel that Catholics are more focused on the church where Protestants are focused on Christ. Mm. Um, a few comments. They, these are sad. These are not funny. I've had Catholics tell me they follow the Ten Commandments. I asked them if they could repeat some. They were not able to, but they said they follow them. That's not meant to be funny. That's tragic. Right. I've asked several Catholics, including several family members, followed the church their entire life, all the sacraments, gone to church. Having I've asked them what happens to them if they die tomorrow. Yeah. They don't have an answer. They don't know. That is tragic.
0: Would do you mind me asking you why that is?
1: I would say again the answer. Is because they follow the church. They trust the priest, they trust the pope, they trust the bishops, they look up to the hierarchy to save them. It's the same thing with when you talked before about Scripture, they feel the priest needs to interpret Scripture for them. Mm-hmm. They don't, the the Catholic faith does not feel that the the congregation is, I don't know if it's wise enough or deep enough to interpret Scripture properly. That's why Catholics don't normally carry around Bibles. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to say, it's it's just, it's sad. We mean to reach out to them. I've lost family members over this. They get very touchy over this. Uh, And I try to be as gentle as I can, but I'm looked at as an outsider. Mm -hmm. But um, I just wanted to add that. Thank you for your time. Great comment. And
2: here's the thing I want to say out loud, real quick, because guys, you need to hear our hearts. Our hearts are not in here to to beat up or, or or prove a point about Catholicism. You're going to run into Catholics who actually have a faith in Jesus Christ. They do, and and that's why it becomes this critical question when you meet a Catholic to say, "Hey, how how would you explain why you're going to heaven?" And and if in that moment they can say, "Hey, because I," I've confessed my sins and I've asked Jesus Christ to be my personal Lord and Savior, then more power to it, more power to it. What you and I need to be aware of is that that description, that conversation is not central to the conversation the Catholic Church has. And if they've figured this out, they've probably figured it out a little bit on their own. And they've figured it out along the way. Because the more common answer that you're going to get is, because I was baptized. Which means, and, and this is the reason we're even having the conversation, it means the conversation isn't done yet. And you now need to engage and help them come to understand that this is about a personal decision to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not a decision that your parents make for you. And it's not about belonging to a church. It's about a personal decision of faith in Christ. And, and my guess is, is that you're going to find, more often than not, that you need to continue the conversation, that you have to go into the next steps of the conversation with them.
4: Um, I grew up in Wisconsin in a Lutheran elementary and high school, and we all know that the Lutheran church broke from the Catholic church, and of yep. course, they were Christians. I also have family who are Church and God in Christ, so they're Baptists, and they are Christians. And I've lived in other states, and for the first time when I moved here to Arizona, I would say something like I'm a Christian and a Catholic would say but I'm a Catholic. I never heard that before so I want to know what's the difference. Mm-hmm. That really confuses me.
2: Okay. So I think <clears throat> I think and that's why you've got to ask your Catholic friend again, okay, so tell me how you believe you're going to heaven. Okay? So <clears throat> this becomes this becomes a huge conversation point. And this is the part that, guys, it's why you and I have got to keep engaging with our Catholic friend. I'm going to suggest you have to keep engaging with your Church of Christ friend uh, when you get into this. Because at this moment, and then again, you'd have to engage with your Lutheran friend a little bit at this moment. Because here's the reason that becomes a critical question. If, I, if I'm saying that I am basing my salvation on being baptized as an infant... This becomes a fundamental problem. Because over and over and over and over again in Scripture it says, For you are saved by grace through faith. As many as believed, to them gave he the right to be called the sons of God. Okay? So Scripture is so clear that this is a personal decision of faith and belief in Christ. And no infant has the capacity to make that decision. And so if you run into a Catholic friend, a Church of Christ friend... A Lutheran friend who says, I'm basing my salvation on something that happened in a tank of water and not on my personal decision for Christ. Again, there's more conversation that has to happen in that moment. And the struggle and the part that I think is so confusing with Catholicism is, again, that once (coughs) a person gets baptized... the next things that they're told is, okay, so let's start doing the sacraments together. Let's, let's go do confirmation together. Let's go do penance with the priest. And now we get into the system of doing things and nowhere in the system, nowhere within the list of sacraments is there a sacrament of belief. And so then you have to say to your Catholic friend, has there ever been the moment in which you, you personally put your faith not in doing something, but actually in a Savior on your behalf. This becomes a critical question. And the reality is, and the reason I bring it up a little bit, is that you realize that within Christian denominations, there are Christian denominations who say part of salvation is this thing of baptism. Okay? I'm not, here's what you need to know I've got very, very, very dear friends who belong in christian faith that overemphasize this thing of baptism and i have no doubt that they actually know jesus christ but the scary part of this is at what point have you trusted human effort and lost your trust in placing your faith in a savior at what point do you move away from a relationship to a religion and that becomes a scary question
0: Okay, so I was also raised Catholic.
2: I've got a grandmother who is Catholic. You realize our entire church was raised Catholic. Let's just say it out loud. We're all recovering Catholics. Um, So with that said, she's a practicing, devout Catholic. But I've had this conversation with her, and I've tried
0: to get to the bottom of her faith and where she stands and try to affirm whether or not she understands Jesus Mm -hmm. Um, And she would say, yes, I understand Jesus. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. However, she prays to the Virgin Mary. She prays to the saints. She goes through all of the ritualistic aspects of the Catholic faith. Um,
4: At at what point, I mean, I don't want to push her over an edge, uh, you know, but, I mean, I'm starting to doubt or wonder whether or not that, Relationship with Jesus is what she thinks it is, and
0: go ahead. The the reason that some people will do that is because of um, you know the residue left off of tradition and upbringing and and so the question I think that needs to be asked is is why are you doing that if you're doing it because the motivation is I have to do it because she knows enough doctrine to know a, a. a practicing Catholic will abide by those things, that they will go to confession, not because they want to, but because they have to. That they will go to Mass every week, not because they want to, but because they have to. They, in other words, what is the motivation that you would pray to Mary? Is it because that's the way you've just always done it, and so, but you really do have a faith in Christ? If that's the case, then you can start to work into the conversation. Uh, you know First Timothy two five Christ is the mediator, Mom. Um, he's the one mediator between you and God. So, so I'm just curious why would you why do you pray to Mary, mm-hmm. and and to really seek out what the motivation is? Um, because as Lynn and I were talking about before the service, and and was mentioned here, if you're not familiar and you grow up under the family title of Catholic, but you've never really stopped and paused and thought why are each of the sacraments necessary and what are they and what is a mortal sin versus a venial sin and and do do i do i understand why that i believe that as opposed to i'm just being told to believe it if you if you get to that level with someone now you can begin to split hairs in terms of well this is what the scriptures say help me understand where the scriptures talk about the difference between sins or But for most Catholics, it would be, I don't know why we do those things. We just do them. And so, is it possible for someone to come to faith and still pray to the Virgin Mary because they've always done it and not really understand why they're doing it and still have a personal walk with Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Where it becomes dangerous is when they continue to do something. And guys, this would be true for Christians. If you've grown up in a church environment where you do communion every week and then you go to a church that does it once a month and all heck breaks loose because it's just different, um, you, you, we can fall into tradition too we need to understand why am I doing what I'm doing? And many Catholics just refuse to answer, ask the question, why are we doing this? And is it necessary if I don't do it? If, and, and maybe we'll have some time to talk about the difference between, you know, what a mortal sin can do to you. But you are told early on that if you commit a mortal sin and that sin is not confessed and forgiven, you have no chance of entering the kingdom of God. None. And that's why the sacrament of last rites. And it's a big, big deal, guys. Well, the, well, that's, that's a, a far stretch from, you know what? I want to go to church today, but you know, in some random act of sin, I just choose to sleep in and just say, you know what, I'm sure Lynn's message is going to be good Sunday, but my pillow feels more comfortable and I'll just catch him next week. And then God God forbid, but you die that Wednesday or whatever. So you don't get to go to church again. You didn't confess the sin. You didn't even think about it after you kept sleeping. Are you going to heaven on that Wednesday morning? And guys, we would argue that if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, your sins have been forgiven. And so it's not an issue of, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. It's more an issue of, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And so maybe the conversation could begin
2: by just asking the question, why do you do that stuff? I'm curious. Here's, And maybe I can add just for a second. The, here's the tipping point. There'll be people that you and I will never know for sure if they've made a, a real commitment to Jesus Christ. You and I have all run into Christians who say, "Hey, when I was 12, I prayed a prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart, but from the time they were 12 until the time, who knows when, they lived like the devil." And and you and I are left to go, boy, I wonder, I wonder if when they were 12, they really made a you know a, a, a legitimate decision for Christ to be their Lord. And you and I don't will never know that this side of heaven. We're going to have to take them at their word and then find out if they really made that decision, there'll be times that you'll have a conversation with a Catholic who'll say, I have trusted Jesus as my Savior, and yet they're still living under all of the rules of the church. And you'll go, boy, I don't understand that because it just feels so much like you're trying to earn your salvation and not trusting Jesus for your salvation. But this is the tipping point, guys, and this is the part of concern. If I'm trying to earn my salvation by following man-made rules... At what point do I become my own Savior? So let me say that again. If I'm trying to earn my salvation by doing enough good things, by going to church enough, by confessing to a priest, by being baptized, if I'm trying to earn my salvation, at what point am I actually being my own Savior and not truly putting my faith and trust in Jesus to be my Savior? Because at the end of the day, coming to Jesus is saying, I know I can't fix this. I know I can't earn this. It's why I need a Savior, because without a Savior, I drowned. Okay? So that becomes the tension point in the conversation. Are you trusting Jesus, or are you trusting the church mm-hmm. and man made rules to get you to heaven?
0: Throw up a slide if you can, because this is from Catholic doctrine, and so. This material, how how do I know for sure? Again, we would stop maybe after point one. Um, The Catholic doctrine would have you go through more than just one. Be baptized, not commit a mortal sin after baptism. If you do commit a mortal sin, then you have to go through the sacrament of penance. Keep the Ten Commandments as best you can. Receive the seven sacraments. Be a member of the Roman Catholic Church if you understand his claims. And so go back to what Lynn is saying. How much of those points right there depends on you... And how much depends on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Uh, yeah.
3: I guess there's quite a few Catholics that are now kind of cornerstone. Um, mm-hmm. I guess for me, I grew up 27 years in the Catholic religion, never stepped one foot in any other church until I met my husband, who was brought up in a Pentecostal home with A. G. pastors and well, I bet you
0: guys have had some good conversations. Uh, well, so this was a good you. middle US ground one. between the two, right? Yeah. So
3: we found Cornerstone. Thank you, Pastor Lynn. Yeah. So this is our common ground, and our families um, have seen that we've grown and that we're very happy here. So we're thankful to Cornerstone for that. But through all of that, I hear around and round and round many people saying, how do I bring people to Christ? Or how do I bring my family? Or many of us are recovering Catholics. Or how do we bring this subject up? And that's the big question. But I think for me and what's happened is just by them seeing how we live, hmm. how our families, how we're raising our children, every single person in my family is still Catholic. So... It's hard for us on holidays and everything to find that common ground. Yeah. And if we're just talking about that with our families who are so so close to us, how do we even propose that to friends? Well, I'll say since we've been coming to Cornerstone, I've brought at least five of my friends who are now coming to Cornerstone. Mm, Wow. That were either Mormon, Baptist, or um, Catholic before. Three three friends now. And um, my family because of funerals, uh, have seen the difference between the way that I coped and prayed. And when we had our services, um, it was a collage (laughs) of beliefs. And so I was able to bring a little of what I've learned and people after came to me and asked me from my Catholic circle, How did you know this or where did you come, you know, how did you get through all of that? Mm -hmm. And so I think just by living, as you've said many times, Pastor Lynn, we can bring people to Christ Mm -hmm. by just living in that way and being happy, having happy families. Mm -hmm. The one thing I do struggle with, the one thing that I do struggle with, though, um, because you're right, right? It's tradition, and it's just something that's born in and bred in, bred in us. One thing I will say is that in my heart, I've wrestled with the hardest part, the subject of Mary. Hmm. And it's not that I pray or worship Mary in any way. But you said one thing, Pastor Ellen. you said, she was a woman, mm-hmm. and that's all she was. And mm-hmm. to me, it doesn't matter if it's Catholic or Christian, she gave us our Savior, Mm-hmm. So for me, I have a really, really hard time saying she was but a woman because she was born. I mean, God picked, made her for the purpose of giving us our Savior. Mm-hmm. For me, it's not that I worship her, like candles to her. You know, I, I've been coming to Cornerstone for many years now. Mm-hmm. But for me, I can't set aside that she is not just a woman. She gave us our Savior. hmm and that, for me, it, she's not just a woman. Sure. So, I mean, I, like I said, I don't worship. I don't. That's just, that's not something I do. But I, not sure. that I disagree with a lot of the things, but I will say that when you said that, it struck a chord with me. I thought, she's not just a woman. She hmm. gave me my Savior. Hmm. Yeah. So, for me, it just, it's, I mean, maybe you can explain a little more of what you meant by that. Because, for me, that's still very near and dear to my heart. And I just don't know, you know, that I wrestled with that on Sunday. Okay.
2: So, um, (laughs) and honestly, I want to say this as graciously as I can, because um, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, she's a human being. She's a human being. And, I can look to human beings. I, I had a youth pastor when I was growing up, one of the most phenomenal men I've ever uh, seen. Uh, we used to have kids who would come to our youth group just to be around Wayne because he was so charismatic and so uh, gracious and loving. We, we had kids who had been in the drug culture. We had uh, p- kids who had been selling drugs on Tempe High and on Marcos Deniza campus. They were coming to Christ because this guy was just so incredibly magnetic and sharing the story of jesus and and i grew up him being my youth pastor and i would have said to you man that guy if i could ever be a christian like that guy that's the guy i want to be a christian like and yet the reality is in his uh humanness uh he actually um began to neglect his marriage at some one point uh he ended up with a divorce he ended up incredibly angry at god um the bottom line of it at the end of the day was he actually died a homosexual prostitute. So here's the guy that was this incredible example to me and served God like crazy for a period of his life. And then he also had the capacity to be probably one of the most damaging uh, individuals I've ever been around later in life. But the answer at the end of the day for Wayne is he was human. And, And I can never put my trust and my veneration in a human because at the end of the day we are all Humans. It's the very same reason, guys, I'm just going to tell you. It's really interesting uh, in Acts, uh, when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, Cornelius falls down on his face before Peter, and Peter's answer to him is, do not bow to me, I'm just a man. I am just human at the end of the day. And if I've done anything right, it's just that I've served God. But at the end of the day, that's not that's not to commend me. That's just about my love and faith in Jesus Christ. It's why, It's why you don't worship your pastor. Okay? Because at the end of the day, I'm just human. And if there be any good in me, it's the good that Jesus has placed in me. It has nothing to do with me. And I've had the incredible privilege of God selecting me to be in ministry. And I've had the incredible privilege of God blessing that ministry. But at the end of the day, I don't deserve any praise for that. Uh, That is still my Jesus. I promise you, I promise you, and I said this on Sunday, if you went to Mary and said, Mary... I want to give you all this honor. I want to give you all this esteem. I promise you, she would say, I did it all for my Lord. I don't want any recognition. I don't want any esteem for this. At the end of the day, I'm a woman who had the incredible privilege of being used by God to do a very remarkable thing. But at the end of the day, I was a woman. And and again, I don't want to discredit Mary in any way. But if you remember, even during the ministry of Jesus, she's not sure what's going on. She's struggling to understand that her child really is the savior of the world. And I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus is out doing ministry and Mary comes with some of Jesus's brothers and they're coming to take him away. They're saying, joy, oh, Jesus, you're, you're getting a little out there on you, what you're saying. And you're getting a woo, you know, that that's a little far. And remember when Jesus then turns and they said, Hey, your mother's at the door. Remember this? And Jesus says, no, 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 these are my mother and brothers. And he points to those who were responding with faith. So even Mary made some mistakes along the way. You know, she struggled to figure this out. I absolutely believe by the time she gets to the cross, and especially by the resurrection, she's figured it out. But even she was human along the way. She was just had the incredible privilege of being used by God, just like any of the rest of us.
0: And if you're you're taking notes, um, because depending on, you know, how strict of a Catholic you were and how much you participate in the doctrinal understandings, um, we have a slide up here. Um, I just need you to know, doctrinally, Mary was not just a great woman for Roman Catholics. Um, So, for instance, I don't know if you can see the quote there. Um, but she, they, you may have heard of the Immaculate Conception. Um, Catholics believe, their doctrine teaches, that she was kept from sin um, before and after she gave birth to Christ. Now again, guys, that's a major difference between saying that she's just a good person or that, you know, she gave birth to our Savior and that she was sinless. No. And so none. but if you look at the quote, this is from Pope Pius, the most blessed Virgin Mary, in the first instant of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege granted by God in the view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin. They believe that she remained a virgin before and after giving birth, which again the scripture I quoted here is from Matthew that we believe differently that she had other children. Um, they believe that her body and soul was taken to heaven. That Mary's, Now again, guys, that's a major difference between someone just being a good person and being raised body and soul, much like Jesus was raised body and soul. Fourthly, they, and this is where it gets a little tough, is that, that you may have heard of the term co-redemptrix there is an element to Roman Catholic doctrine that does say Mary somehow participates in your salvation and in my salvation. And then finally, again, and Pastor Lynn explained this, that that Mary is known as the mother of God. And the, that's the logic that follows. She gave birth to the Savior. The Savior is God. Therefore, Mary is the mother of God. So what you have to do then as a Catholic is you have to take that doctrine and then you have to... To boil it down to get to a point of saying, I won't worship a person like that. But I will revere her and just consider her a great individual. But guys, for me, it's, it would be very tempting to worship someone like that. If, if that is true of one person, mm-hmm. I guess the question is, why wouldn't you worship someone like that? But the issue then goes back to the scriptures. What do the scriptures have to say? And so it's not just an issue of what do you think of Mary or what do I think of Mary. It would be it would be parallel to Cornerstone coming out with a statement about, um, you Pastor know, Lynn, Pastor Lynn, yeah. and saying, <laughs> and saying whether you want to believe it or not, this is what we believe as a church, and if you want to be a member of this church, then we're asking you to subscribe to these beliefs as well. We don't have to prove them to you. We don't have to defend them. We're just telling you, if you want to be a part of the team, whether you understand them fully or not, you need to sign on the dotted line. And again, back to these comments here. Many Catholics, because of growing up in a family situation or a cultural situation, they you're not taught this. You're not sitting down and understanding and asking questions. Well, why is this? And where's the biblical proof? It's
2: just a part of the part of the package. So I want to jump you back real quick because I I think we went past it and people wouldn't get it. When Catholics say that, that Mary is the product of immaculate conception, what they're saying is they believe that Mary was virgin-born. Not that she was a virgin who gave birth, that she herself was virgin-born. Notice, right. her mother was a virgin when she conceived Mary. Because the idea is and the belief is that original sin is transmitted through conception. Correct. And so in order for her to be sinless, she had to be born of a virgin. But if you take that logic, well, then that would mean that her mother, in order to not transmit, would have to be virgin-born, would have to be virgin-born. And you go all the way back, well, then that would mean that Eve would have to be without sin. And it's just, it's its incredibly fallacious Take a look logic. at these titles given to Mary. And again, it just we just want to raise the
0: question, how many ways can you call someone blessed? Um, the titles alone ascribe a real fine line between, man, that's thank you, Mary. Thank you for honoring God's command to give birth and not fighting him on that. That's, That's one side. And the other side is I pray to Mary and she hears my prayers and answers them. And it's just, again, a similarity and a difference between one aspect of Protestantism versus Catholicism.
2: Here, maybe be another way that maybe this will help with it. Mary, in a moment in which God gave her a nod, gave her the opportunity to do something, responded really well in the moment. Right. I mean, she did, and so for that, she deserves credit. But in in this regard, she's no different than Aaron McRae. I mean, here is a guy, uh, Aaron and Holly McRae. Here is a family who God's nod to them was, I'm going to give you the trust of a daughter with brain cancer, and I'm going to trust you to live that moment of your life well into the glory of Jesus. And Aaron and Holly McRae did that at an unbelievable level. I mean, I I, I still marvel that 36-year-olds lived that way in front of us that moment of life. But would we ever bow down to Aaron McRae? I mean, would we ever... I came close once. You came close yes. once. And I, I did pull once. you back. That's but, right, you know, yeah. You know, and, and, and that's what you and I have got to be careful of. Ju- you and I have every reason to give respect to a human who lives a moment for God well and who God gives the opportunity to live a, live a moment well. But never, ne- there is nothing about that that makes them worthy of anything other than respect couple more questions and then how about we call it a night yeah i have
4: a very important question a question about baptism okay okay yeah right in the bible jesus baptized so that means that we should all be baptized in order to be able to go to heaven am i wrong i don't know that's why i'm asking
2: okay you're wrong <laughs> next you. no i <laughs> No, here's, here's the deal. And Jesus got baptized, and we also know that Jesus didn't get baptized so he could go to heaven, right? Because he didn't need to be baptized. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that you and I are baptized for the answer of a clean conscience for God, toward God, not the washing away of filth or sin. Baptism does not do that. And here's the easiest answer, guys. Here's the one, guys, that I just, if, if you will stop and rest on this part of this, this story, it clears up so many doctrinal mistakes. And it's simply this. Jesus is dying on the cross. And as he dies on the cross, there's criminals on either side of him, right? And in the midst of that, one of those criminals turns to him and starts saying, look, you're of Turkey and this and that and say all sorts of things to Jesus. In the midst of that, the criminal on the other side turns to him and says, dude, stop it. We deserve what we're getting. We... So stop and think about this. This criminal in this moment is saying, we, we've we been bad. We've done horrible things. And we deserve the death penalty. So you and I don't know exactly what they did. But whatever they did, he, he acknowledges. We deserve death for what we've done. This man, pointing to Jesus, is innocent. And then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Okay? And Jesus' response is what? This day... You'll be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in heaven. Okay? So here's the the question. What did that man do to commend himself to God? Did he join a church? Did he get baptized? Did he attend Sunday school? Did he walk a little old lady across the street? The truth is, he's on a cross. He never did anything. The only things he did right, I believe that Jesus is Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need you. Which is exactly the core of the gospel. I get that I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. So anytime you start making it Jesus plus anything else, you've immediately moved away from the scriptural story. Okay, And you cannot explain how that man gets to heaven. How Jesus gives that response to him okay the minute you start adding anything to jesus so the simplest way to get back to the core of the gospel is just remember the thief on the cross he believed in jesus and he called on him to be a savior and immediately jesus responded and said that's enough that's all you need baptism baptism has absolutely no spiritual efficaciousness to you and me it doesn't do anything If you are not a Christian when you get in the baptistry water, if you're a heathen when you get in the water, and then we put you under the water and bring you back up, you're just a wet heathen. Okay, There's nothing there to help you. Baptism is a statement. And here's an interesting thing, and maybe this will help for you guys. I had a guy the other day say, you know what the new baptism is? And he wasn't trying to be sacrilegious or anything else. He was just making a point. He said, you know what the new baptism is? Tattoos said you, you look at young people today and if they want to tell you what they really believe they print it on themselves that's really what baptism is baptism is a public way of saying you want to know if i believe this stuff you want to know if i really really am in and so they would stand in the baptismal waters and when they stood there they were saying i believe jesus lived when they placed him under the water I believe Jesus Christ died and was buried. And when they pulled him out of the water, I believe Jesus rose again. And the reason that was a crucial statement is because first century church, you get in a baptistry and now, see, because you can pray and ask Jesus in your heart and nobody knows. But you go get baptized, we'll kill you for that. Because now you have publicly said, I'm a follower of Jesus. It was a big deal to make that type of statement of faith. You and I don't understand that because we live in America, and oh, you were bad. It's no big deal. It was a statement of faith, it was a public confession about what had already happened inside of a heart. That's all it ever was. That's all it ever is. And nobody, and I can just say this nobody has ever made it one step closer to heaven by getting wet. Okay? But they have been obedient by getting wet. And, and so you're not downplaying baptism. No, I, I think, you know, it, it's interesting as you get to Scripture, oh, there's several times, and this is why sometimes it gets confusing, because the Bible says, hey, repent, yeah. and then immediately says, and be baptized. Right. And so people go, oh, well, wait a minute, maybe repenting and being baptized are the same thing. No, being baptized is the first act of obedience that a Christian's is required. Yeah. Okay, so it doesn't save me, but the Bible just says, hey, look, if you really believe this stuff, then you ought to be willing to say it publicly, yeah. and it it really is kind of that that initiatory thing in which you and I say, "I'm really in, yeah. I really I really am yeah. in." And I, I every Christian needs to be baptized. Yeah. And and I'm say this gently in in the room. If you were baptized as a child, then that was not a profession of faith on your part because you did not have faith as an infant. And you need to really, really stop and consider, now that I've come to a place of saving faith in Jesus, do I now need for my own self and for the fact that I'm not ashamed of my Lord to go back into the baptismal waters now that I believe it, not my parents believe it? I have a conversation with my high school students, and I ask them this,
0: when you're standing before Jesus, so you're in heaven, you're saved, but if Jesus says to you, um, just curious." In the fifty years I gave you as a believer on earth, why didn't you ever get baptized? What what good answer do you have? What answer will you or I give that will suffice where Jesus will say, "Oh, well, I, I didn't know that was your situation." Or, "Well, oh, I didn't. I've never heard of that excuse." I paid You're, a lot for my haircut. Yeah, University, you know, or, or yeah, so, so and it and it really resonates with my students, guys, because they say, you know, well, why do I have to get baptized? And it's just it seems like it's a it's just a hassle or, you know, and... But when posed that way, they're really left without an answer. And I would argue probably we are, too. And so it's a motivation to do it, not to get saved, but to proclaim your faith. Um, an hour has come and gone. Okay. So um, we are going to uh, allow our volunteers to get out of here on time, which we haven't done for the past two weeks. And so, um, hey, can you give Pastor Lynn a hand um, for showing up? Let me... uh let me just close with a quick word of prayer. Um, and then um, Lynn, Lynn said he'll stay all night to answer your questions. So, God, thank you for tonight. And, Father, our desire is not to um, be argumentative. It's to understand. It's to understand if I, um, if I grew up Catholic, if I grew up um, Baptist, if I grew up Lutheran. It's to begin asking the questions, why do I believe what I do? And Father, my hope and prayer, as Pastor Lynn uh, said over and over again, is, do I know you as my Savior? Have I put my faith in you? Whether I'm Lutheran, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, non-denominational. The issue is, uh, do I know Jesus as my Lord and Savior because I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. And so, Father, on that note, uh, those of us that have done that, we will spend the rest of our lives giving you praise. In your name. Amen. Uh, Next week we'll be back in the book of James. So come on back.